Hey there, folks. This is Dan Figel here. Welcome again to the Tech Emergence Podcast, where we bring you to the intersection of technology and psychology. And there's been a lot of references in the last month or so to Nick Bostrom, not only here on the show, given all the AI folks we've gotten to speak with, but of course in the media with you know Bill Gates and and uh, Elon Musk mentioning sort of their concerns about artificial intelligence. Today, I'm lucky enough to have an AI researcher uh, as well as a CEO and founder of Possibilities Research, Mr. Steve. Amahundro, who's on the line with me right now from California, IA, and we're going to be speaking about the social implications of artificial intelligence. Steve, how are you? Uh, doing great. Fantastic. I'm, I'm glad to have you here. And, and as we were talking a little bit off mic, you know, some of the concerns around AI can appear as though, you know, if they're placed abstractly in the media, can, can seem as though maybe in the coming century some of them will be relevant. But I know, you know, a guy who's really got his boots on the ground in the AI world today. Um, there are given social implications of artificial intelligence that are already really being seriously considered around how policies are being set around them, around how they factor into security. What are some existing, before we even go into the future, which we certainly will, what are some existing considerations around AI um, that are already having to be considered seriously in terms of their social implications? Well, I think we're on the verge of a major transformation. Uh, right now, it's sort of affecting the economy. Uh, McKinsey, the um, sort of consultants that sort of look, yep. look at the near-term future for companies, uh, they estimate $50 trillion of value will be created by AI and robotics in the next 10 years. Goodness. So this is massive, massive economic force. And some, some examples, one that's really immediate is self-driving cars. Um, Tesla just announced that they're going to do a software upgrade of one of their cars in the next month to make it 90% self-driving. Wow. Uh, Nevada just announced uh, that there's a semi-truck company that is making their trucks, uh, they're allowing them on Nevada roads to be self-driving um, while they're on the highway. So we're in the midst of a massive transformation in that area. Um, China has demonstrated 3D printed houses. They pr one company print 3D printed 10 houses in 24 hours. Um, healthcare, medicine. Uh, I was just at a future law conference in which they're all talking about the legal profession being completely transformed by uh, AI. Huh. Basically, every aspect of today's society is going to be transformed by these technologies. Um, there's an estimate by the Gartner Group that one-third of all jobs will be automated in the next 10 years. If that's even close to true, we're talking massive, massive social transformation. Yeah, that, that, that would, uh, man, well, yeah, that, that sounds slightly more aggressive than what I've heard, but, you know, I mean, I'm not going to necessarily discount it. Obviously, Gartner's not like, you know, the, the least trustworthy folks out there. So, so these are, you know, shifts that are underway now. I know self-driving cars certainly have garnered a lot of attention. When you had mentioned the transformation in the legal space, I mean, I'll dive a little bit deeper on that one. What did you mean? Are you talking about kind of artificial intelligences being able to handle kind of legal research? Or are we talking about um, humans having to tackle these complicated legal issues around AI? How is AI going to be crossing over with, with legal in such a transformative way? Well, I think both of those are important. What's going on right now, um, there's a lot of companies involved in the e-discovery, which is, you know... Now, when you do discovery on a company, they have millions of emails. How on earth do you sift through all that? So yeah. lots of AI-ish companies are using natural language technology to sort of help in the searching for that. Similarly, uh, searching, you know, doing patent searches and uh, prior art for intellectual property. But much deeper than that, there's a transformation in the legal industry where much of what lawyers do today, human lawyers do today, is really quite routine. Things like creating contracts, 
Yeah. And yet it's very highly paid. And so there's a tremendous incentive to automate as much as possible of that, uh, you know, uh, of that aspect of the law. And then looking forward a little bit, um, all these new technologies introduce all kinds of new and weird questions. You know, when you have a self-driving car, let's say it hits somebody and kills them. Who's liable for that? The person in the car? Well, they weren't driving, so it shouldn't be them. The car manufacturer? The person who wrote the software? You know, and there's all yeah. kinds of ethical issues that pop up all over the place. The current legal system really is, you know, kind of looking at, at this onslaught of new technology with very little clue of how to manage it. Yeah, and, and so I see, I, I certainly, and I mean, there's all those considerations around, okay, there's the car knows that there's one person in the car, and it either has to go straight and hit, you know, a big crowd of people, or it has to go off the bridge and kill the one person. What does the car do? You know, I mean, there's all those, like, funny kind of, you know, if-then scenarios there in terms of ethical conundrums. The that trolley that, problems. Yeah, trolley <laughs> issues, exactly. I'm reading Joshua Green's book uh, right now on moral tribes and kind of trolleyology, and, I mean, they're going to have to factor a little bit of that in, whether they, whether they want to or not. You know, uh, there's going to have to be some element of consideration in terms of the actual impact of, of you know, worst-case scenarios. It, that even Self-driving cars, at least at present, so it sounds like there's going to be a lot more of them on the road. Are there even, you know, and, and I, I do want to reach into the future a little bit, self-driving cars clearly not that far away. Are there, are there other um, kind of AI social implications even today right now that we're sifting through and juggling through that maybe some of the folks tuned in are not even aware of in terms of, of uh, kind of AI having a crossover and maybe requiring different policies or kind of causing some conundrums? Well, probably I would say the area at this moment that is um, kind of having the biggest effect is big data and machine learning being applied to, uh, you know, all these companies, consumer companies are gathering all kinds of data about their customers and predicting what kinds of ads are going to be most effective and sort of targeting uh, that, that kind of information. And so how do you manage that? And what are the legal restrictions on that? Uh, one case that just came out, I think, yesterday was uh, price fixing, where, you know, it's illegal to collaborate with other people in your same, other companies in your same business to set prices. And it looked like these uh, people who were selling posters uh, on the internet were doing this price fixing by, by tracking the prices of different companies. Uh, they determined that, hey, it looked like they're colluding, and they uh, filed a lawsuit against them. Well, it turns out they were all running bots to automatically check the prices of all the other ones and adjust their own prices according to an algorithm. Wild. So what happens when the bot is doing price fixing? Is that yeah. illegal? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because where's the volition? You know, again, do we, do we sue the software manufacturers you know, the, the different companies that built those different softwares, do we treat them like they're people in some way or, or how, how do we even tackle that? It was, it was the, yeah, it was the, it was the AI that did it. The AI exactly. was price fixing. You can point your finger. It wasn't me. It was yeah, you. it was this, it was this. Similarly for insider trading. Ah, okay. AI system that somehow garners some information. Is that legal? Is that not? Yeah. There was a really funny case in Switzerland recently. An artist created a bot. Uh, gave it some Bitcoin, which you can sort of buy stuff anonymously, hooked it up to the dark net, which is sort of the part of the internet which isn't visible to, you know, normal people, uh, something called Tor, but and where people trade all kinds of illegal things, yep. and had this bot randomly buy things. And so it ended up buying, you know, some ecstasy and some other stuff. And that his art exhibit was, what's all the weird stuff his, his bot bought on the thing? Uh, 
the police in Switzerland allowed him to have his art exhibit, and when the exhibit finished, they came and arrested the bot. They, they carted the computer away. Wow. <laughs> That wild, huh? But you know, it's not it's it's not gonna be the last time, right? I mean, it's not gonna be the last time where they sort of question who to blame and and it almost seems like we have to get rid of this software, like we have to get rid of this this uh this created entity. Wow, that is very odd. I had not heard of that. I had not heard of that one at all. Um now we were starting to lean into just a second ago some of the most pressing upcoming concerns and considerations. Self-driving cars. Most folks are pretty aware of. They're not, you know, zipping everywhere around Boston right now, but who knows, you know, 10 years out how, how many of them are going to be on the road active in, in any given state and what percentage of the cars are, are going to be self-driving. Um, that, that might be an area where, you know, the social implications of AI might be rather steep, potentially. You had talked about law and legal. Anywhere else right now, like if we were going to, if you were yourself going to be thinking about you know, if we could bring the social implications of AI to the UN or, or to to Congress in some way, shape, or form, uh, to different caucuses, and and there were issues that you sort of saw at present as being of sort of the grandest ethical gravity um, in terms of AI and social implications today to bring to the fore, what would those be for you? Well, let me step back a little bit. Sure. And say I think we have three waves coming. The first wave, which we're you know really right in right now, is basically transforming the economy, looking at places where things are inefficient or can be done better by automation. And then companies come swoop in, uh, and not necessarily just um, you know AI and, and robotics, but like Uber and Airbnb are really transforming the taxi and the hotel Big industry time. by sort of finding this low-hanging fruit, uh, disintermediating current participants and using very simple technology. You know, Uber is basically a phone app, and it's valued, that company's now valued at $41 billion. And so huge money to be made in taking our current existing economic system and automating the pieces that are, are most effective. Second wave, I think, is military. Every military on the planet is in the midst of, of uh, doing robot soldiers right now. Uh, you got drones. You know, drones are a huge thing right yeah. now. There isn't much defense against drones, but you know, in the next few years, you can expect anti-drones. And so, drone anti-drone warfare, uh, similarly, missile anti-missile warfare. Uh, Israel has the Iron Dome, which shoots down incoming missiles. Underwater uh, torpedoes. Um, it's been reported that China has these little underwater subs that are totally autonomous look for a certain signature and then can shoot things, you know, totally autonomously. Jeez. What does warfare look like in that kind of a context? So really dramatic changes in, and also huge concentrations of power. A very small group, a country or even something smaller, could potentially own uh, a robot army and wield a lot of military power. And so yeah. I don't think the world is really ready for that. At the no. There's a lot of, there's a big ethical movement in uh, Europe right now just like there was a movement to stop landmines. Yeah, uh, stop the killer just, drones, right? Yeah, to stop, to the stop killer uh, drones. robots that autonomously uh, assert legal for, uh, lethal force. Yep. So, in other words, drones. In the U.S., when we have a drone, there's always a person making the shoot decision, or the kill decision. Yep. That's not true in other countries. A lot of countries now are building drones that uh, choose their own targets and, and uh, shoot them at will. And yeah. So, what, what is the ethics of that? Yeah, yeah. Are we going to be the only country? With, like, do we need a remote control on all of them? And then do the people that don't need remote controls just kind of truck us, you know? Well, that's the, the other big question about these moral issues. So I'm a big advocate of managing the development of these technologies very slowly and very carefully. 
But one of the counterpoints is, well, that may be fine for the U.S., but what if another country doesn't have those constraints? Won't they develop much more quickly? And in a competition, won't the unconstrained systems beat the constrained ones? Yeah. And, and it's definitely an issue. And then let me just say the third wave is yeah. the kind of thing that I think Nick Bostrom is really writing about a lot and that some of the, the longer-term concerns. And that's when these systems become of the same kind of intelligence or, or more intelligent than humans, um, you know, what does that do to society? If you know, if in ten years thirty percent of all jobs are automated, well, what does that say in fifty years? You know, are all are humans going to be able to work at all? Do anything that these systems can't do better? And and how do we manage that? How do we think about that? What is the role of humanity uh, in that future? Do we kind of merge with these systems and sort of you know uh, create something new? Do we find a, you know a, a niche which is uniquely human and let the robots do the stuff we don't want to do? You know what does it look like? And I think there are huge, huge questions there that we're just beginning to address. Yeah, that's kind of uh, you know the, the colloquial singularity type scenarios. Yeah, uh, potential, potential. You know, singularity is the idea that there'll be this moment, and I think Ray Kurzweil likes to talk about, uh, you know, 2039, something like that, when suddenly the machines get so intelligent that they can start improving themselves uh, very, very rapidly, yep. and that things will change so fast that uh, humans won't even be able to, to watch what's going on. Yep. Uh, and I think that could happen. I, I don't see any reason technologically that that couldn't happen. I don't think that's a very good future for humanity. I think we should very carefully think about what are our values, you know, what are the things that mean most to us, and, you know, we're building these things, there's nothing inevitable about any of it, that we should uh, think it through very carefully and design systems that actually reflect the kind of future that we want. Yeah, and, and, and uh, I, I suppose we can hope with all our might that that'll be a, a vigilantly done process. Um, so, and, and, uh, this this brings me to sort of the last question that I had for you, Steve, and, and I realize there's so many different directions we could go in any of these individual technological applications we'd be talking about, but uh, the, the question that I ask a lot of folks, I mean, I think the first person I ever asked might have been um, Ben Goertzel, interestingly enough, about two years ago on the show, or close to two years ago, about this fact, and, and we'll just talk about it with AI. I mean, I don't want to take us in too many directions. Just with respect to AI, there will be so many differing beliefs as to how artificial intelligence should be constrained or not constrained, applied or not applied, militaristic or not militaristic, and and that's going to be massive sort of disagreements within states, never mind countries, never mind across national boundaries and country boundaries and things along those lines. How would it even be conceivable that we could uh, move forward to to kind of a, our best attempt at a best future as the common team of human, you know, uh, in in with with all the potential disagreement and the potential competitive elements that might arise as we build these. How can we make our best shot without kind of blowing ourselves up in the process, for lack of better terms? Well, I think this is probably going to be the biggest challenge that humanity has ever faced. Um, you know, we've just been through a period, probably, a, you know, a, a rough analogy is nuclear weapons. Where yeah. Nuclear weapons also could have blown us off the, the face of the earth, and we haven't done that so far. Which hey, is thank goodness. Yeah, great. There's a, there's a book uh, that just came out pretty recently called Command and Control that looks at the history of accidents with nuclear weapons. And, uh, you know, the, he did a Freedom of Information Act and got all this information. Turns out in the 60s, 
uh, the U.S. military accidentally dropped two live hydrogen bombs in North Carolina. Fortunately, they didn't go off. Wow. <laughs> but we had some really close calls with that technology, and yet somehow we managed to make it so that no accidental or you know intentional um, uh, detonations of those bombs happened wow. after uh, Hiroshima. You know that guy got fired. That's right. You know <laughs> that guy got fired. Oh. <laughs> Whoa, yeah, Steve is totally getting demoted, or whoever dropped, you know, like, Billy, hey, Billy, uh, yeah, you, I'm afraid you can't have this job anymore. Okay, so so we pulled out of that one, at least seemingly so now, you know, can we do so in the future? Now, I, I suppose I don't feel like I'm schooled well enough in international policy uh, around nuclear weapons. I know that you know, we're wary of certain nations developing them, and, you know, maybe that's a little self-serving because we we sure sure like to have a lot of them. Um, I don't know what sort of international treatises or pacts or agreements on the aggregate allowed us to, um, to, to sort of jump that hurdle, at least its first time around, uh, that might transfer over to the AI world. You know, were there policies set in place? Was there a degree of transparency imposed upon the development of these technologies and, and some kind of international agreements to that degree of, of transparency. I don't know if you're familiar or if even you just have ideas about how it might work with, with AI if we're going to jump this hurdle too. Well, in the nuclear case, I mean, I've done some reading on that and um, verification, you know, having inspectors who are at the sites has been a part of it. Um, I think every country realizes the uh, danger and import of nuclear weapons, and so that helped in getting those agreements signed. But nonetheless, you know, there are all these little nations that want their own nukes, and uh, you know, big squabbles right now around, uh, sort of around North Korea, around Iran, around uh, Pakistan, and uh, and yet somehow that hasn't um, gone bad yet. Um, the AI case, I think, is is similar. Though I think the realization that, oh, this could be a very powerful technology, I think that's just dawning on, on us now. Yeah. So that's one reason I'm really glad that, you know, uh, Stephen Hawking and Bill Gates and Elon Musk have publicly come forward and said, hey, we got to look at this stuff. We got to be really careful. That raises the awareness. Um, and so the more people thinking about this, I think the better. I, I agree. Um, I agree. But, you know, fundamentally, what does it take to write an AI system? Somebody in their basement on a PC can do it. Yep. And so, so it's going to be a much more challenging technology to manage, verify, and monitor. Uh, I propose something called the safe AI scaffolding strategy, which is to basically build a, a safety infrastructure which manages uh, these systems and to do it in a very careful sequential way where at every stage we have very high confidence of safety. And one of the technologies I think could be very valuable on that is uh, what's underlying Bitcoin, the, the cryptocurrencies. They've developed something called the blockchain, which is a cryptographically secured network that doesn't rely on anybody trusting anybody else. And so that's exactly the kind of technology we need uh, in, a, in a future internet with lots of AIs roaming around, you know, hopefully most of them with good intentions, but maybe some that don't have good intentions. Uh, we need a sort of uh, analog of today's uh, police force and legal system to manage these new entities, which will be sort of roaming our digital landscapes. And uh, so I think the cryptocurrencies, there's a new cryptocurrency called Ethereum, which has something called smart contracts, which are basically digital Turing complete programmatic contracts 
uh, which can have cryptographic assurance of certain actions taking place. You can make agreements with somebody and have those agreements uh, absolutely verified. I think that technology is a, a kind of a first step in managing this new kind of AI-ish world. Huh, interesting. And and now, you know, we hear Bostrom speak of, and uh, it's been very interesting seeing Bostrom go from, you know, semi-obscure, frankly, uh, to to where where he is now, um, and and I think I think he, he he's done a little bit better with his speaking, and I think the book worked out pretty well for him. Um, but I, I I you know I was very congenial with his notions from you know years ago, uh, and I certainly wasn't following him ten years ago, but uh, you know three years ago or so uh, around you know how do we build sort of safety first and risk management first, and then capacity next, and then how do we yeah. repeat that? Uh, process. It sounds as though you're thinking along a, a similar uh, dimension yourself in terms of this scaffolding idea, which obviously we didn't have the time to go into in, in length. But um, it, it sounds like you're you're sort of of a similar belief uh, as Nick in, in that respect. Totally. That safety first. That you know, there's such uncertainty in these technologies. Massive uncertainty. We need to have very high confidence that what we're doing is something we actually want to happen. Yeah. Um. And and just just as an idea there. Um. You know, like like you had mentioned before. You know, what does it take to have somebody build an AI and and you know to to put together nuclear weapons at least at present? I mean, you gotta have more than like a normal suburban sized basement, you know. Um, and and you, you gotta have a particular number of kind of materials and some pretty serious equipment. Uh, and and to to write an AI program, maybe you don't. And maybe that if you have an AI that's reasonably capable. And, you know, you don't have to be the single greatest, like, hacker genius squad in the world. You could be a couple folks with some AIs helping out in terms of achieving the kind of AI you want to have, potentially get to some degree of a, of a breakthrough in capacity and be able to kind of unleash that thing in whatever way, shape, or form uh, in, into the, the world. You know, with this scaffold that you're speaking of kind of undergird you know, the entirety of, of kind of the electronics and, and internet of the world? Would this, would this just exist at research institutions? How, how would a scaffold like that prevent potentially an intentionally malicious uh, artificial intelligence from, from being spurned or spawned from wherever and, and, and released out in, in whatever malicious form? Well, so one of the challenges, I mean, today... Today we have huge security challenges of you know viruses and malware and so on. And one of the little trends that's interesting to look at are sometimes they call them skipped uh, script kitties, which are somebody very clever figures out how to break into some system, but then they map they they take that code that very clever code that was difficult to write and they bundle it up into a simple little application. And then you know thirteen year old kids in their parents' basement can take this code and they can break into their friends' computers or into any other computers, even though they don't really understand much. Yeah. And so one of the risks is that you know, today doing a really sophisticated AI system is, you know, is very challenging, very hard. Um, and so only a few, you know, research labs are really likely to be able to do it at this moment. Yep. But imagine, you know, not too distant future when some of the principles are well understood and people have bundled them up into, you know, here's your own little make it home AI kit. Um, how do you prevent a script kitty from taking a very powerful, sophisticated AI system and giving it a goal which actually is antisocial or harmful yeah. uh, in nature? No, that's a really valid question. I don't know if, if you've kind of factored that into your scaffold thinking. 
Well, I think we need an infrastructure. So today's internet is very um, kind of loosely put together, and I mean that's one reason we have so many security problems today. Uh, I think the the future analog of the internet will not be able to be that loosey goosey. It's going to have to be um, particularly the part of it that manages the flows of money, because it's the flows of money that really drive action. Um, that those have to be monitored very carefully for um, the analog of malware, or especially smart malware, if you like. Um, and so that's where I think uh, what's happening in the cryptocurrency world is a really interesting sort of uh, initial steps there, where you can sort of see how uh, different entities which manage money uh, can interact and they can be monitored, and we can start to create a regulatory framework for that. Got it. And, and, uh, and I, I know that we could go on for you know, probably, you know, another four hours on that topic alone. And I would certainly be more than happy to. I realize we're coming up on time here. Steve, I, I really appreciate you being able to share your insights and bring some current and, and near future concerns sort of to the fore. I'm very congenial with, with these notions and, and actually quite interested in your, your, your ideas around this scaffolding. If people want to uh, learn more about you and what you're doing in the AI space and kind of the social implications therein, where would they go on the web to find you? Well, so I've got a, a think tank called Self-Aware Systems, and it's got a website, which is selfawaresystems.com, that has all the various papers I've written and talks I've given about the how do we ensure that these technologies are beneficial, so, so those issues. Uh, and then we're busily developing some new technologies, some of which are related to the uh, securing and managing these things, and uh, I'm doing that under a company called uh, Possibility Research, and possibilityresearch.com is that site, and then I've got my personal site, which is stevamahundro.com. Easy enough. Okay, and and lastly, you know, I, I often will ask this question as a, as a kind of a closer because I think uh, often the, the, the experts in the individual fields will have a better insight than I. You know, when you aim to learn as to what's kind of new and fresh and, and interesting in the AI space, from like credible sources on the web, uh, where do you go to search? Like, are there sites that for you are are legitimate and credible and, and you know actually insightful when it comes to what's new and interesting in AI? I find even myself, I'm kind of popping between you know four or five different places, and maybe none of them are perfect. Is is there anywhere you like to go to kind of stay up to snuff? Well, credibility is is a is an iffy issue, isn't it? I, I like to read like I read Hacker News and Slashdot. Those are two sort of technological communities where people tend to put things that are, you know, new and interesting. There are a number of Facebook groups where people are thinking about some of these issues. Um, and uh, oftentimes people will post, you know, I mean, there's so much happening in this area oh, yeah, oh, yeah. that oftentimes, you know, you hear about like a new development in, you know, self-driving semi-trucks. That'll be, you'll, you'll hear about it first on Fox News or something. You know? Yeah, so, yeah. So it's tough to it's tough to pin down one space, but actually slash dot oddly enough, I'm not there a, a ton of the time, and it, it might be curious to to kind of poke it around in there as well. So that might be some interesting homework for the folks tuned in. Steve, again, thanks so much for being able to take the time here on Tech Emergence. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Great questions. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential. And make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, 
And be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious f- uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Um, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>